Well, hello, everybody. Um, I know you're going to be very disappointed to hear this, but we are without our fearless leader, James, for the first time ever on the EPL State of Mind. Kyle, pour out that little Stella Artois on your hand for the, for the dead homie, James. Um, not actually dead, just, just driving to a wedding, <laughs> so he's out of action this week. Um, but how you doing, man? How was your weekend? Uh, it was a good weekend. I actually got to come down to the city this weekend and watch some games with James live at one of the bars. I mean, I'm sure everyone, if if they watch or follow us on Instagram, they saw the little clips with James and our new good friend, our Manchester United follower. But um, it was a lot of fun. Really good time down there. We got to see some really thrilling games and some really fun news off the field as well this week. So I'm sure we'll yeah. have a good, good amount to talk about today. Let's just uh, hop right into it. The first thing is... Um, talking about Manchester United drama. What else is new? I uh, love that. <laughs> so th- this one, it's it's uh, Anthony has been dropped from the Brazil national team um, for this upcoming round of, of international games following accusations from his girlfriend of domestic violence. Apparently, you have to beat your girlfriend to be to qualify to play wing at Manchester United. Um, <laughs> but his ex came out and filed charges with the Greater Manchester. De- police department alleging multiple incidents of physical abuse um, as I mentioned he was dropped and Manchester United's hierarchy is allegedly claiming to be following the situation um, you know for what that whatever that's worth considering they didn't even get rid of Mason Greenwood it turns out they just loaned him out to Getafe so uh, Kyle you got anything to say on this one uh, yeah I see this will be a hot take but I actually think this will help Manchester United in the long run they have been having Anthony play so many minutes out there because, and I, I genuinely feel this because of the $100 million price tag that's on him. He has not done anything lately that proves that he should be a starter on Manchester United. So I think this will give some other young players, some seasoned veterans, whoever it takes, an opportunity to actually get results at Manchester United, and that will help the team overall. I mean, watching him play this weekend, he had hella touches on the ball. Nothing led to anything. So, you know what? Scummy player. It's <laughs> coming on and off the field. Uh, I think this might actually help them, other than the $100 million hit that Manu's about to take, clearly. Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, we've called him trash on the pitch, but it turns out he's even more trash off of it. So, um, hopping out of that one and uh, from the right wing to the left wing at Manchester United, Jaden Sancho did not travel with the team to North London this weekend. And according to Eric Ten Hag, it was because his performance levels in training were well below the standards of a Manchester United player. Sancho came out on Twitter denying the accusations, said that he's been the scapegoat at Manchester at Old Trafford for far too long. He said, please don't believe everything you read. I will not allow people to say things that are completely untrue. I've conducted myself in training very well this week. I believe there are other reasons for this matter, but I will not go into it. I've been a scape- scapegoat for a long time, which is not fair. Kyle. What's going on, man? Dude, I don't know. I feel like trying to blame a player at that level in this era is just a waste of time. I mean, with the social media impact on live sports nowadays, nothing's really hidden. So when a coach says that and then a player responds, one of them is right, one of them is wrong, and the facts will come out because their lives are recorded. So I think it's a little bit childish of the organization to start blaming individual people, start leaving people out of the squad who you pay a ton of money for. I mean, even, even for ticket sales at that point, you bring them on, like do something with your new big names, but 
Yeah, Man U is not the Man U I know. So calling out a scapegoat is nothing new for that. It's just I think it's the wrong play going after Jordan Sancho, guy that hasn't been playing much anyways. Yeah, um, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. You know, about a week from now, they'll return from the international break. And we've seen Ten Hag been off players, you know, more accomplished than Sancho with Cristiano Ronaldo in January of last year and then De Gea this summer. Um, yeah, I, it's obviously not a great look when when one of your guys who's supposed to be a, an important player and your manager are going at it publicly. Uh, so just bad, bad vibes all around for Man U, and, and we'll get into even worse vibes in a few minutes. Oh, Lord. What, what could possibly <laughs> be worse than what we're talking about here? <laughs> but right before we get into that, let's just also mention quickly, Damare Gray has left Everton. He signed for El Al Etifaki in the Saudi Pro League for about 10 million pounds. Um, he's been kicking his feet and stamping his feet all summer for a move away from Goodison Park. He even came out on uh, Monday and criticized Sean Dyche, saying that it was very difficult for him to play for a manager who shows no respect for him um, and doesn't treat others with respect. He was the second highest goal scorer in the Premier League for Everton last season with four goals. Um, and he actually joins Stevie G's side alongside a different uh, or alongside a player from the other side of Mercy's side in Jordan Henderson. Uh, who also left earlier in the summer for Al Atifaki and had a, a controversial interview of his own this week. Um, just just brushing on that, though, and, and hopping into Manchester United Arsenal. It feels wrong to be talking about an Arsenal game without James, but at the same time, we can keep this to a it. reasonable you know, five- to ten-minute discussion instead of dedicating the entire pod, which would have happened if James was here. But, yeah, and one other uh, quick note I want to touch upon for Man U is that they lost $550 million yesterday in the stock market. The It happened. There's, there's no getting that money back. They were looking, the owners of the team were looking to sell the team. They had said that publicly. So a lot of shareholders, they just bought a ton of shares. Like, hey, we sell this team, we make a lot of money. They came out yesterday and publicly said that they're not looking to sell the team, which through everyone for a ringer and they lost 550 million dollars 18 to 23 percent of their club's net worth in that transfer in one day it's unbelievable and then you think about the hundred dollar million hit if you know hypothetically if anthony does get cut from the team that's just a hit they spent 100 million on them last year he does they don't get any of that back nothing i mean that's just unbelievable yeah unbelievable no it was bad and it was it was not a great performance by them this weekend either um obviously the scoreline doesn't necessarily reflect the game because arsenal scored twice in stoppage time but just watching the first half of this game arsenal completely dominated the ball um and they were able to to open scoring manchester united were you know through marcus rashford that man as usual cutting in on his right foot off the left hand side um off a beautiful ball from Christian Eriksen, who for me was the best player for Manchester United by a country mile in this game. Um, but then Arsenal responded right back with, with a goal of their own through their captain, Martin Odegaard. Um, and then a very controversial second half where VAR played a very significant role in overturned penalty by that was for Kai Havertz. And then later, what looked like to be the winner for, for uh, Garnacho ended up with it being uh, overturned due to offsides. And I mean, you got to give Gabriel Magales a lot of credit because he, a lot of awareness and, and intelligence to hop forward 
and push Garnacho offside on this one. Uh, but what did you have from takeaways from this game? Um, so without picking sides, I, I just want to talk about that offsides call at the end of the game for Garnacho. It was a uh, to call it borderline is underplaying it. I mean, they were neck and neck. The line that they drew on the screen, Man U fans are going to be complaining about. Arsenal fans are going to be joyous about. It was a it, it was a questionable line, is what we can say. But the line that they put up did show him offside. So that was you know, as far as the patrons are watching, no no hesitation. It was just about placement of that said line. After that, though, I mean, two goals, Declan Rice, awesome strike. Awesome strike. Took it nice off the corner, laces through it, got a nice deflection help, but still went through the net. And then the third goal, if you're a Man U fan, you guys lost two to one. That third goal <laughs> is a product of that second goal where you have right. to press. You, you don't have a mm -hmm. choice. You're in the hundredth minute of normal time. So that could have happened to anyone on earth. So realistically, that Garnacho goal getting taken off the board changes everything clearly, changes momentum, changes your honestly, it changes everything. You know? Right. But uh yeah, it's it's an unfortunate last five minutes. And I'm sure emotions played a huge part of that for Manchester United after that goal got disallowed and they saw the line that was drawn. But um yeah, I think Arsenal outplayed them full and full and through. Uh the fact that the only two chances, real chances that Manchester United had was the Garnacho and the Rashford goals shows everything. I mean, the, the Rashford goal, if you saw it, was a product of beauty. It was a ferocious strike, cut in, classic Marcus Rashford, and that's what they have to do to score on Arsenal at this stage, which shows volume for Arsenal, and it shows how far Man U has fallen. But that that's yeah. pretty much where I leave it. It was a fun-ass game to watch, but... Nothing, nothing exciting from Man U. They're, they're feeling this week. They are feeling it. Yeah, and especially um, to make matters worse, they also lost Lissandra Martinez and um, Victor Lindelof to injury in this game. Um, thankfully for them, there is obviously the international break, so they'll have some time to get back to fitness. But they're already down Raphael Varane and Luke Shaw as well. So does that mean... <laughs> Yeah, it means what you think it means. Oh, Harry man. Maguire and Johnny Evans are the center back pair as we speak. Uh, the dynamic duo. Love that. Love. I mean, yeah, they let up two goals in the 20-something minutes they were on, but that's besides the point. I, I watched – I got to witness Arsenal fans chant Harry Maguire's name at a bar when he got subbed on. I don't know if I've ever seen that before in my life. It was, it was shocking. <laughs> but you love to see it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that that just says it all right there, doesn't it? Um, but yeah, obviously that that Gabriel Jesus goal. I mean, he sent Diego Dallo said it sliding into the River Thames. Uh, that was a beautiful <laughs> move, and then finishes it around Onana. Um, set up by Fabio Vieira, and and just the two things I wanted to finish on. The first being, Fabio Vieira should be playing over Kai Havertz one hundred percent. I think. If you look at their performances when Vieira's on the pitch so far this year versus Havers, Havers is a mess. He was responsible for the giveaway that led to the Rashford goal. He missed a sitter in the first half. The penalty, I mean, that's that's part of a a, a great run. It ended up getting overturned because he kind of just fell on his own accord. That was a little controversial, but I can understand why it was overturned. Um, but for me, Vieira's been arguably one of the four or five best players for Arsenal this year, and Havertz, the, the team just doesn't gel 
or hasn't jailed yet when he's on the pitch, I think it's time to play Vieira over him. And the other thing was, and this is the only solace that United fans can take from this game, Rasmus Hoyland is going to be a problem for Premier League defenses. Um, got subbed on in around the 70th minute, I believe. And his strength, pace, and power is, was evident immediately. He was back in his big old behind into uh, to Gabriel and causing him problems. He also had a, a nice link up with Casemiro that led to that Garnacho goal that ended up getting turned overturned on offsides. But, you know, it looks like there's, there is something there. There's a lot of potential there. Obviously, you know, a big money move and, and United has need for a striker so Rashford can go play on the left and be in his best position. But um, anything else on this game before we move on? Well, yeah, I mean, anyone whose name is that close to Holland must be a good striker, right? <laughs> Gotta be. <laughs> but I do agree with you with uh, Kai Havertz. I think it's a product of just the amount of money being spent in the Premier League nowadays when you sign a striker or you sign a player for a big penny even if it's, you know, a big name, not so much even a big paycheck, you play them. And that hurts a lot of teams. I can think about Man City last year. We signed Jack Grealish for a record signing. I wasn't impressed with him in his first 10 games. I was wondering why he was starting. He didn't fit. And then they benched his ass, and they brought him back a couple weeks later when he started to mesh with the team, and it's been, you know, all stars since then. Yeah. But I think yeah. it's just the product of big names, big money, and people think they have to start them at that point. Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of turnover, um, you know, throughout the league, but I think Arsenal, especially Arteta is clearly still trying to find his best 11. I, he finally went back to that, that back four that was so good last year, which is Zinchenko, Gabriel, Salibra, and then Ben White. And he'd been tinkering all, all year in the previous game. So hopefully Arsenal's getting to a point where, you know, they will start hitting their best form, but it doesn't, I mean, and and to be fair to them, they've had ten, they've taken ten of twelve points. So even without looking their absolute best as they did last year, they're still being successful so far. Yeah, I agree, and I think Martin Odegaard is really finding himself at that squad. He's mm -hmm. he's controlling the game. He's I, yeah. I thought he was one of the best players in the field this weekend. Yeah, no, he was he was great, and it was pretty funny. I mean, I don't know how you leave a guy like that so open in the box for a free run right after you score a goal. It felt like United was still busy, too busy celebrating the, the Rashford goal to pay attention to the fact that Arsenal came down and scored, what was it, 30 seconds later? It was almost yeah, if immediate. That, if that. It yeah. was an instant response. Yeah, so we can move on from there. I think, uh, obviously, a huge win for Arsenal. Got to give Declan Rice some some love. I, mean, I can't think of a, a better way to score your, your first goal for your new club. Um, oh, yeah. But... Speaking of goals, let's go down to, to the South Coast and talk about the Brighton Seagulls, a team that has the highest XG in the Premier League this season. And they followed up with a 3-1 victory over Newcastle. It was James's lock of the week, inspired by my, uh, or persuaded by my comments last week, and I ended up being wrong once again. Brighton just dismantled Newcastle in this game. Uh, Evan Ferguson Hattrick led the way, but anything you got on this one? Uh, I mean, I wasn't able to watch this game, but I can tell you my thoughts just based off the stat line of it. Brighton must have played ferocious because they just scored more goals against Newcastle than anyone has all season. And I mean, I could go back last season. They let up 33 goals in the whole season. I would be pressed to say that no one dropped three balls on them last year. So, I mean, right. Man City couldn't do it. Liverpool couldn't do it. And Brighton's doing it. That puts Brighton at the most goals for in the entire Premier League. <laughs> You got to watch out for them. They are going to be full on attack 
And Newcastle's no joke either. To let up only one to Newcastle, they, it looks like everything's clicking for him right now. I, I yeah. think Brighton's going to be one to watch this season. Right. No, I mean, they're, they've they obviously took an, another step, and, and we thought they might take a step back with the loss of McAllister and Caicedo, but it just seems like they've picked up from where you know they left off last year and, and progressed forward. A uh, couple of facts on Evan Ferguson. Became the fourth youngest player in Premier League history to score a hat-trick after Robbie Fowler, Chris Bart-Williams, and Michael Owen. Um, just quickly on Michael Owen, he had three hat-tricks before he turned 19, which is Jesus outrageous. But then you think about he won a Ballon d'Or at, at 20 years old, and you're like, okay, yeah, that tracks. Yeah. Um, he's also the, only the second Englishman or non-Englishman to have 10 goal contributions before the age of 19, Seth Fabregas being the other one. And oh, you Newcastle. mean Arsenal player or Chelsea player, you know, Seth Fabregas. <laughs> and then Newcastle, um, already with three losses on the year, three in a row. Obviously, Brighton, Liverpool, and City are three of the best attacking teams in the league and, and uh, best coach teams in the league. So I, I don't expect this to be a trend, but Newcastle only lost five games in the entirety of last year. Um, and then obviously, as you mentioned, they were giving up less than a goal a game. They're giving up close to two a game this year. Um, but their their schedule does lighten up a little bit in their next five. They have three at home, including uh, games against Sheffield United and Burnley, which you know should be six points. But it will be interesting to monitor how they do. They will have to contend with Champions League football, which starts up this month. Um, and you know the table, the top of the table is already starting to separate themselves. So they really need to pick it up and get some results when when we do come back in two weeks. Yeah, I don't I don't think they have any needs to worry just yet. I think they've played three of the best four teams in the Premier League in the last three weeks in Brighton, Liverpool, and Man City. So I'm sure preseason when they're going over all 38 matches they got to play, they had at least set aside a loss against all three of those separate teams in their goals. You know what I mean? So they should go on a potential Newcastle United record win streak. I could see it happening in the Premier League this year. If they're taking out those three teams, I mean, maybe they splash Arsenal in there, but they are going to be on a war path. I think you bet them to win a couple of the next games because they got, what, three points right now <laughs> sitting up there in the bottom of the table. That's right. not where they belong, and that's not where they're going to finish. So it was just difficulty of schedule right now, and they didn't make any magic happen, but no one's that shocked at those results. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely fair. Um they, they didn't get completely dominated in this game. It just Ferguson had a couple of beautiful goals and, um, you know, they didn't take their chances in this one. Um, and I, I, I do agree with you. I don't think it's time for panic yet, but they definitely need to pick up their results. Uh, and I, I do agree. I'm, I'm just curious though. You said three of the four best teams being, uh, oh, Arsenal. Duh. Never mind. One. Sorry. You know, to be honest, didn't think they're that good. So. You know, I think we should just bash Arsenal for like 10 minutes and just have James fuming in a car ride. Yeah, the other thing I want to say about Newcastle is, which worries me a little bit, is they let up goals in quick succession. It's mm -hmm. the second game in a row they've done it. That almost starts to have you worry about composure in the back once they let up a goal. Mental games, right. all that stuff. I mean, 65th and 70th minute against Brighton, once they went down, they crumbled. And then against the 10-man Liverpool, back-to-back -back goals, 1-2. They're just, right. they have such confidence and they play so well until they let up that goal. And then it feels like they crumble. So that's something they got to work on. Yeah. Mentality could definitely be an issue. And I think 
Um, that'll improve as these guys, you know, get more experience and confidence. Obviously, it's still a relatively young team, and they have some new pieces as well. With uh, you know, Sandro Tonali, with it, with uh, Harvey Barnes, and then Anthony Gordon's only been there a few months as well. So, we'll see. Uh, I do agree with you, though. I think I expect them to to improve. A team, though, that is the opposite of improving. Got to go to Stanford Bridge and talk about the Chelsea Blues. Oh no! I mean. Singing the Blues once again, a 1-0 defeat to Nottingham Forest at home. They are leading the Premier League in possession so far this year. They've had 77% possession in their four matches. They've had the most shots in the Premier League this year. However, a similar trend from last year, they have the most big chances missed with 11. Nobody else has more than eight. Kyle, what do you, what do you got on this one? I mean, we got to bring James in for just one second, guys. So... James had a nice bet going this week. He had a five-game money line parlay going with a bunch of winners, and Chelsea was included at minus two sixty-five odds, and they dogged them. And I have not heard James badmouth a team in a long time. We're sitting at that bar; he was badmouthing them, especially because <laughs> Crystal Palace was beating Wolves, which was his last leg he needed. But it was just—I mean, how, how are you going to go up a goose egg against Nottingham Forest? That's crazy. Yeah. You know, it's one of those games that, I mean, unfortunately I was at work during the game, but you get the update on your phone. You're like, oh, one nothing. Time to bet on Chelsea to win. The odds must be good. (laughs) To just throw up nothing is just pathetic. I mean, Chelsea needs to get their shit together. They have spent so much money. They are trying so many lineups. I think Raheem Sterling is a one of the only consistent bright spots on that team right now. Agreed. He's putting up numbers and no one else is. You got to leave him in and try players around him and hope, just hope that your defense can start not letting up goals to teams like Nottingham Forest. (laughs) Yeah, and especially Nottingham Forest is a team that struggled on the road last year. They only took seven points across the space of all of last season. So to lose to them is really difficult. Um, and, And as you alluded to, it's the summer signings who've disappointed uh, Nico Jackson missed two big sitters in this one. It's like one of them was, uh, I don't think if you gave every Premier League player in the league that chance, I think everybody else scores it. I don't know how he missed it. Um, and then Moises Caicedo, his turnover once again leads to to a goal that 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 buries Chelsea. Uh, Taiwo Awani, who we've talked about last week, his goal scoring streak did end at seven games. However, he did have the assist on Anthony Alanga's debut goal and the winner in this game. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, things need to change quickly at Chelsea or we're looking at a season similar to last year. There's no European football to contend with. And obviously they're struggling without a classic number 10 that Nkunku, Nkunku was supposed to be, and he's out injured. But I mean, these results are just unacceptable for the amount of money that they spent and, and the squad that they have. So do you think letting go of Pulisic might've been a, might've been a bit hasty there? I, I honestly, they could use it because they have Ben, ben Chilwell playing left wing. I, I think that's a great point. I mean, obviously Pulisic did not live up to, you know, all the hype at Chelsea, but I mean, they could absolutely use a left winger with dribbling and creativity because Chilwell is a left back. That's, that's what he is. He's a good left back. He's not a good left winger. Let's just be very candid about it. Um, yeah, I agree with he's that playing one. out of position. Yeah. I like, uh, I always think Pulisic is very, very similar to, um, Asensio in that matter. I think Asensio is a little bit better, mm. but I think they're both very interchangeable players. And 
you know, they're, they're players that can you can basically fit into almost any squad because they have a lot of individual talent and dribbling ability and a vision for other players. So, yeah, I, I'll always that's back Christian Pulisic. And injury prone, too, though. So, yeah, I think <laughs> that's course. actually a really good comparison. Of course. <laughs> um, and then the, the last game, we or one of the other games we wanted to talk about, Tottenham, once again, I mean, just really, really impressive. A 5-2 victory at Turf Moor against Burnley. This was the second of three hat-tricks this weekend. Um, Hyunmin Sung scoring his fourth ever career Premier League hat-trick. And Spurs just looked more explosive offensively with him in the nine. He'd been out on the on the left wing for the first couple of matches. This game, they had Manor, Solomon on the left, Dejan Kulusevski on the right, and Son up top. Richie hit the bench. Pack your shit, uh, you, you pigeon. But... I mean, you, you got to give credit to, to Ange Postacoglu. He's got Spurs humming right now. They look unbelievable going forward. Uh, 5-2, so obviously they have some things to clean up defensively, but a very impressive victory. Um, what do you got on this one? Uh, you know, it's nice seeing Burnley score first at a match. You'd love to see that in the fourth minute. You know, Vincent company, not even a smile. He knew what was coming. He's been in the Premier League for 20 years. But, you know, the players didn't know, so they all celebrated like it was their, you know, birthday. But, you know, what's really nice to see during that game is James Madison getting on the scorecard. When, I don't know what Burnley's thinking. I mean, Vincent Company has defended James Madison himself. To tell your players that it's okay to give him that much space is ridiculous. I could have called that shot in the back then at the second it left his foot. That's his yeah. best opportunity. A curler coming in off the left side of the circle. Like, you know where that ball's going before he even shoots it, and it's going to hit the back of the net. Totally, especially the form that he's in right now. He's arguably one of the three or four best players in the Premier League at the moment. Just I agree. the form that he's in, he's been he's been exceptional and, and really led the way. And the other guy that I wanted to mention from Spurs in that midfield is Eve Basuma. Uh, we talked about him against after the Manchester United game. we got to talk about him again. He's the only player in the league with 10-plus interceptions, 10-plus successful dribbles, and 10 tackles, one so far. He's done everything in that holding midfield role for Spurs. Um, and they could be arguably more explosive going forward as well because they just added Brendan Johnson right before the transfer deadline from Nottingham Forest, a really good winger who can play on, on the left or right or maybe even in that nine. I think that should be Son's role going forward, but um, Johnson gives him more versatility and another attacking option. So um, hats off to Postacoglu right now. He's buzzing. Um and speaking of buzzing, let, let's uh, end the the recap of the weekend with your boys of, of Man City and Erling Holland. Man City and Erling Holland. Ah, a second half hat trick from Erling Holland. You love to absolutely see it. They were not too difficult of goals. He did get a little bit of help on a deflection on the first. Second goal was a penalty that he didn't earn. So I, I will never give credit for that. I feel that if you earn the penalty, you have to take it. And then third goal in the 96th minute, it looked like the defense just dropped. You know, they one of our one of our subs, very good player on the left wing, just destroys the defense, cross it in the center, and then it's a tap in for Erling Holland. So I don't think he really, I don't think he's going to be proud of any of them as far as you know the goals that he puts on his wall. But it is a hat trick for sure, and it was a hard fought match that was one one for almost going into the half. So I'm sure right. a locker room talk and then just Erling Holland's pace and efficiency overtook him. And it makes me happy knowing that Man City can put up a five bomb without Kevin De Bruyne on the field. 
which you would yeah. usually expect him to be on that assist card at least three times if Man City scoring five goals. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I'm just out of curiosity because I actually didn't see this game. I only checked out the highlights. What did you think of the new signing, Jeremy Doku, in his debut? Jeremy Doku? Um, on the wings. I got to be honest with you. I did not watch the game. I was oh. at uh, a festival. And we just <laughs> watched the extended highlights when I got home. And unfortunately, Doku wasn't on the highlights. Okay. So I, Fair I can't enough. give you anything on that. Um, and then the last game we just wanted to make a mention of was Sheffield United and Everton. Two teams at the bottom of of the table in our in our expectations. Um, if you look at if you or if you go back and listen to our previews, we had James and I were disputing whether or not those teams are going down. I think we agree on Sheffield, and then I think Everton's going down this year. He thinks it's going to be Wolves, um, but that was a two two game, one of the better games of the weekend, I think, in terms of you know a watch. Um, but do you have anything else before we wrap up, my man? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm happy for Sheffield and Everton, but I also do want to just say that Luton Town, first goal at the new stadium, congratulations. Even though it was a loss, you gave your patrons something to write home about. That's that's football. Good for you. 100%. And uh, <laughs> this whole Sheffield-Everton 2-2 thriller, was, was it a product of good offense or bad defense? Because, I mean, we're looking at two of the worst teams in the Premier League. Is this is this a hopeful two goals apiece or a, wow, you just let up two goals to that team? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I think I think Sheffield's goals were well taken, um, and we should make mention of it. Cameron Archer made his debut for Sheffield United. Um, he was signed from Aston Villa this summer. He scored the first one, and then he the second goal was an own goal, but it was off of him, cr- created by him, came in, cut in off the left, curled it on the right, hit it off the post, off Pickford's little back and into the back of the net. (laughs) (laughs) I love seeing Pickford fail, man. I don't know why. (laughs) I just love it. Um, So so something to keep an eye on. He's only 22 years old, and he crushed it in the championship last year. Uh, Villa's got a buyback clause on that contract, so which tells you how big – of a future they think he's going to have that, that you know they're going to let him have game time but at the same time they you know they they could activate the option to bring him back one day um and then the other thing to make note on that game arno danjuma he scored the game tire in this game it was his first goal uh for everton and uh he was a little bit controversial last year he was the guy who was at everton for a medical left 12 i think it was like two hours before the deadline and ended up spending the rest of the season on loan at spurs so he's got to make up a little bit of uh he owes something he owes the fans he yeah. owes the fans oh, of everything a lot of goals so yeah. he's got to work on that but um that's a good you know stealing a point on the road is a good start to that for sure no i'm with you there but um all right, this is this is a pretty quick one. Unfortunately, we do not have any games to look forward to this week uh, because it is an international break, as we alluded to previously. Um, but keep an eye out. We'll be posting content throughout the week. Um, and then next week, we're going to have a report card for all the teams in the Premier League's transfer windows. Um, and then a look ahead as well, featuring Kyle's first lock of the season, which he's I'm, hoping dude, thinking about the, to uh, improve from last year. If he gets mind, one win... Right. If you get one win, it's as good as you did across the space of six picks last year. Listen, season, listen, so. listen. A lot of a lot of nonsense happened last year, but we're going to be looking at the state of mind parlay this season a good amount, which is for Arsenal, Liverpool, and Man City to all claim the victory that weekend. And th- 
I'm not making the lock yet, but all I'm saying is this weekend looks tasty. All right. It's yeah. not the best teams. I think Man City's got the only struggle this weekend out of the three of those teams. So we'll, yeah. we'll be so, we'll be watching. We'll be keeping an eye on them. I'll yeah, FanDuel the next week. FanDuel hit us up for the EPL State of Mind promotion parlay. That's that's the move. That's right. Um, we'll do that for you know just a little pray, little little bit of a, a little bit of a wet the beak. You know, a little taste. That's all. Yeah, that's yeah, all we're asking vague, for. You know Nothing saying, crazy. Little... Yeah, a little vague. How you doing? Yeah. You're um, <laughs> but on that note, I think we can we can wrap this one up. Uh, get this one out to you and uh, obviously any feedback that you have or questions that you want us to talk about on the next podcast, reach out to us on uh, EPL state of mind on Instagram. And, and like Kyle talked about before, check out those clips from Mulligans uh, to see James in some uh, 1970s basketball shorts. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. For, for real though. I also want to just say that James was spared very nicely by Sean today for not having to pronounce Vespa Suoma on Spurs Eves, Eves. Eves, whatever I mean even I think I was going to do better than James on that one <laughs> no I you know to be fair I think um I think it's good that you you threw that in there at the end we had to mispronounce something in his honor so yeah there it is oh hold on, on. there note, was a uh, there was oh. a quote I had to read off from James this weekend oh okay here we go all right James wants everyone to know Arsenal needs to score in regular time and Saka for the Ballon d'Or done Okay. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I think that's pretty standard James behavior. Um, but other than that, I think on that note, we can wrap it up. So uh, have a wonderful evening and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yep. Take care. Cheers.